Welcome to the Lincoln Road Chapel Podcast. We're a church here in Waterloo that exists to become a thriving community of Christ followers. Our mission is to love God, make disciples, and serve our neighborhood, city, and the world. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about Sunday morning worship, our ministries, or how to connect in community, visit our website at lrc.church. Well, good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is David. I'm part of the preaching team, and uh, it's a real joy to follow what we've just heard. It's kind of like I was thinking, Taryn, you've done the 1812 Overture. The, the Overture is the beginning, and you have so created the theme and the mindset, and you've brought it beautifully into the presence of God. So thank you and your team. It's good to see you here this morning. And those of you that are online, good to know that you're with us. And I would uh, ask that we pray together. Heavenly Father, as we sit here this morning, things being shot out of the sky, tectonic plates rumbling under the feet, the whole of humanity trembles and yet held by your never forsaking love. You know our names, our families, our hopes and fears and our weaknesses. Yet we sit here confident because your son Jesus has taught us to call you Father. We are held securely by your love. We pray this morning for those thousands and thousands of grief-stricken fellow human brothers and sisters of ours in Turkey and Syria. We ask, oh God, that you would be there near to them in their grief and sorrow, in their desolation. We pray for strength for all those that are seeking to bring aid to the homeless and helpless. And Father, we pray here, now, this morning, that we may hear from you as we listen to the invitation of Jesus to enter into the richness of your life for us. May we have ears to hear and wills to obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you have ever driven down the QEW toward Niagara on the lake, you can't help but notice one of Niagara's most prominent industries. Those farms don't look very attractive in the winter, but I'll tell you that in the summertime, they are lush and they are filling with fruit. There are 125 wineries in the Niagara region. They have names like Inniskillen, 30 Bench, Henry of Pelham, I don't know if I've mentioned your favorite. Some of you, I'm guessing, have been on a wine-tasting tour in the Niagara region. Well, this morning, I am uh, going to share with you a story about Jesus, about a vineyard, about vines and abundance of fruit. You know, in the Niagara region, truckloads of fruit move through those vineyards at harvest time, They bring fruit to our tables. They bring a lot of wine. They add $4 billion to the Niagara economy. 
And um, so I just want to like you to have that as a backdrop while I talk to you about, not about wine, but about grapes, harvests, vines, and vineyards. The past three weeks, we've been considering Jesus' invitations to us. The first one was come and see, which is an invitation for us to be curious and to explore what Jesus means to us. The second was believe in me, where Jesus invites us to trust him and commit our lives to him. And then last week we heard about follow me, which means Jesus' invitation to learn his ways and to adopt them into our own way of life. And these, (coughs) these invitations are a kind of pathway in which Jesus invites us to become more fully alive. Today's word, abide in me, invites us even deeper into a truly flourishing way of life. Jesus says to his disciples, and by correspondence it comes down to us, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, or stay connected to me, so that the very life of God that flows through me will flow into you and make your life fruitful and productive. It's the Gospel writer John who tells us about this story. He says it happened on the last night that Jesus was with his disciples. It was Passover, and Jesus and his disciples had just finished their evening meal, their holiday Passover meal together. And they're walking now through the city towards the olive grove where Jesus wants to pray. As they walk past the temple up on the hill, under the light of the full moon, it's always full moon at Passover, they would have been able to see hanging on the wall of the temple a huge golden grapevine with great big clusters of grapes hanging from it. The grapevine was a popular symbol of Israel as God's vine. It was enshrined in their songs and their prayers going back a thousand years. Israel truly was God's cherished vine, chosen to produce the fruits of mercy and justice, so distinctive and life-giving that it would give witness to the whole world of God's grace and love and goodness. But over and over and over through history, Israel's prophets had called out the nation for being an unfruitful vine, failing to produce righteous fruit. And on this night, As Jesus was walking to the Mount of Olives, he talks about this vine, and he gave that vine a whole new meaning. He said, and you can follow if you wish, in John 15, I'm going to kind of walk us through this text. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He was saying that in contrast to Israel being an unfruitful vine, he was fulfilling everything God had called Israel to be. Here, at last, was the true Israel, a true vine, fruitful in mercy and love and obedience to the vision of the gardener for his vine. And then Jesus expands on the metaphor saying, my father cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. As a young Christian, this line used to trouble me because I didn't think my life was especially fruitful, and I didn't want to be cut off as a withered branch. I didn't want to be discarded. 
In fact, this line is probably referring to Judas, who that very night was about to betray Jesus, and also Israel's leaders who are about to reject their Messiah and cut themselves off from the vine. But then Jesus says, while the unfruitful branches are cut off, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This is one of the most counterintuitive practices in agriculture, where the productive branch gets pruned back in order to stimulate more growth, greater health and productivity. For 30 years in Jesus' private life, and now three years of public ministry, Jesus has been a fruitful vine. And now he is going to be pruned. The pain of betrayal will prune him. Whips and thorns and nails will rake his body. Insults and loneliness are about to overwhelm him. But through his humiliation, he will defeat death and release life and hope and wholeness to, the, to a broken world. Amazingly, his death will result in a huge harvest for God. Pruning is a core law of biology. Death makes new life possible. And so Jesus reminds the disciples of the pruning that they have already received. He says, you are clean already because of the word I have spoken to you. For three years he's been teaching them and has been shaping their way of thinking and their life. They had taken up Jesus' yoke and begun to learn from him the ways of grace, but they were still far from perfect. Just that evening at dinner, Jesus had to show them by getting down on his knees and washing their feet that they needed to learn how to be more servant-like in their attitude towards each other. And us, in the same way, the Father prunes us by the words and example of Jesus. He cuts away harmful habits and behaviors that would hinder our freedom and our growth. He prunes us by suffering and disappointment, even stripping away good things so that we learn to lean into Jesus, to depend on him. And with every painful loss, we are strengthened by his spirit, and the fruit of the spirit grows more and more beautifully in our lives. So Jesus urges his disciples, remain in me, and I, as I also remain in you. Jesus is urging them not to abandon him. Because no matter what happens, he is not going to abandon them. In fact, he knows that that night they are all going to abandon him. But he is not going to cut them off for their failure. He will return to them sooner than they think. But this invitation to not abandon Jesus is a challenge to us to persevere to stay the course, to remain loyal and strong. But friends, it's not just a matter of a grit and determined willpower. It's more like responding to someone who is absolutely loyal to us. Someone has said it's not so much us holding on to our commitment, but allowing ourselves to be held. The Christian life is sustainable because Jesus is the one who does the holding. 
Centuries before Jesus, Isaiah sang this about God's promise. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I am holding on to you, says God. Don't give up. Remain in me. Sadly, there are many tragedies of people who once followed Jesus and then turned away, drifted away, allowed themselves to be lured away from centering their lives on Jesus. Perhaps it was a crisis, like the death of a child or a friend or sickness. Perhaps they were distracted by work or wealth. Perhaps they grew tired or disillusioned. Maybe it was betrayal or the hypocrisy of the church. There are a thousand influences on us to drop out. So Jesus warns us not to let this happen to us. Remain in me, he says. In fact, notice, notice that Jesus doesn't say, remain with me, as in, stick near me. He says, remain in me, and I in you. You can't get closer than in The branch is organically fused to the vine. Their fibers are intertwined. This is called mutual indwelling. As when the Apostle Paul says, Christians are in Christ as Christ is in them. As we allow the love of Jesus to permeate our hearts, we are held secure, not by the force of our will, but by the deep love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit alive in us, the indwelling Trinity. This is the purpose for which we were created. This is the secret of a joyful, fruitful life. Jesus says no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you want to grow as a Christian, you need to nurture your relationship with Jesus. We're made in the image of God, but we are also flawed. There is a toxic tendency in our lives that constantly pulls us towards self-serving. We need the power of God's love to restrain that self-impulse and override it in a way that produces Christ-like virtues. And Jesus promises that living in close partnership with him will lead to a rich and thriving life. I am the vine, he said, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus spells out two alternatives. Abide in me or go it on your own. And how we choose will make a profound difference in our lives. Remain in me and let my life flow into you and you will bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit of Jesus will begin to blossom in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, the power to forgive, the courage to lead, the moral strength to resist, wisdom to make wise choices. And over time, As we keep our life open to Jesus, these will begin to characterize us more and more. If you want to live up to your full capacity as a human being, 
Immerse yourself, heart and soul, in Jesus. And he will begin to transform you from the inside out. You will feel more and more alive. He will make your life fruitful in more ways than you can imagine. Ah, It's such an inspiring and promising invitation. Ignoring Jesus and drawing only on the power within you is a pointless pursuit. Like like a scuba diver ditching their tank and saying, I'm just going to breathe on my own. Fish do it, why can't I? Friends, we were not designed to live in isolation from Jesus. He is our breath. He is who sustains us. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Obviously, he's not referring here to human achievement. Lots of people do amazing things without any reference to Jesus. In the Super Bowl tonight, I predict that some player is going to display some football heroics, and they're going to call him the MVP. And he may not give Jesus a shred of thought. You can win Emmys and Junos and attain greatness in many areas of life and still be barren and empty on the inside. What Jesus is talking about here is moral character. You can't build Christian character by your own power. Character is not a performance. It's what radiates out of you. It's what's going to be true of you long after your body dies. It's the person you will be forever in God's new creation. Your fruitfulness of character is a Life 360 activity. It will be evident everywhere you go, and it will have an impact on everyone around you. Your children at home, your colleagues and your clients at work, Whether you work at Walmart or Starbucks or whether you're a farmer or a nurse or a stay-at-home parent, Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And that fruit will be evident to those whose lives you touch, at home or at work. This, if you take nothing else with you today, take this home today and take it to work tomorrow. Jesus said, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. He is describing the tragic waste it would be if we were to live our lives barren and unproductive for God and to forfeit the very reason that we're alive. But it doesn't have to be that way, Jesus says. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Tiffany, could you give me the water, please? So let me ask, what do you long for? Thank you. Uh, What do you hope that God will do in your life? Pray for that. Pray that God will fulfill his perfect vision for you. Pray that God will use you to have an impact for good in the world far beyond what you think is possible. Pray boldly and confidently. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words are shaping the deepest longings of your heart, God will answer your prayers. This doesn't mean that every prayer gets answered the way we like, but I think Jesus is urging us to dream big for his kingdom. 
and for our own lives. As the message paraphrases it, if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Jesus then goes on and gives us some even greater incentive for us to cultivate spiritual fruit in our lives. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Living a fruitful, bountiful life will boost our own sense of fulfillment, but it will also bring glory to God, to bring delight to God's heart. Some of you have uh, artwork on your fridge door. I mean, it's world-class, second-grade stuff. You display it with pride because someone you love has done their best stuff and your parenting or grandparenting heart is thrilled and up it goes on the fridge door gallery. That's a picture of how God is glorified when he sees you and me doing acts of mercy, loving the unlovely, giving our time or money to someone in need. God is absolutely thrilled and you find yourself more fully alive and you find yourself to be a growing disciple of the master. And then in the next verse, Jesus shows us where it all begins. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. It all starts with God, who is the great initiator of love, and his love flows through his Son and from him into us. Friends, there is not a single day of your life that the fierce, pursuing love of God has not reached out towards you with mercy. No sin or failure has ever diminished that love. It flows from the Father to the Son and on to you and me. And Jesus says, remain in that. Receive it, welcome it, rest in it. You don't have to drum up the love. You are already loved. Knowing that is the first step of remaining in Jesus' love. And the best way to remain is to respond. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. These two verses are like mirrors to each other. The first shows God's initiative, and the second shows our response. And again, our response to Jesus is a mirror of his response to his Father. You see how the, these... Just, it's a, it's a, the Father's the initiator, Jesus is the mediator, and we are the responders. Our obedience does not earn God's love, but it fulfills it. It completes the loop. Because, you know, real love can't help but respond to the desires of the beloved. You know how it is when a husband and wife stand there and they they get married, they make this outrageous promise that they're going to love each other till death do them part. And, and they really mean it. And after a while, they learn that love doesn't just mean feeling cozy and affectionate. It means practical things like, like sharing the remote, putting out the garbage, folding laundry. It means dying to yourself as the boss and valuing the other as a true partner. If you love somebody, their desires are your commands. And following through on those commands is not just a duty, it's how you remain in love. Here's kind of how it works at our house. 
if we're having people over for dinner, Tiffany might say, David, would you like to peel the potatoes? And if I'm really on my game, I realize she's not asking me what I would like to do. She's asking me to help with the meal prep. And on my good days, her wish is my command. Loving husband that I am, I grab that potato peeler, I take over the sink, the potato peels go flying off, and before long the kitchen is just crackling with romance because I am obeying her unspoken command. Tiffany doesn't love me because I peel potatoes. I peel them because I want to show her my love. And that's how mutual love is sustained. It's all about the potatoes. This is how it is with Jesus. His primary goal was to bring joy to his father by doing what his father asked him to do, namely to enter into human life, to show the world what God is truly like, and to bring healing to the whole suffering creation. The love between them guided every action in Jesus' life, and he lived constantly in his father's love. And Jesus invites us to follow his example We remain in Jesus' love by embracing his love for us and by responding in kind and making it our primary goal to do what he asks us to do. And then just before Jesus spells out practically what that means, he incentivizes our obedience once again. He tells us how much joy it will bring in our lives. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is the overflow of love. And as we experience the richness of Jesus' love, our hearts overflow with joy. I mean, think about Niagara Falls. The exuberance of that river is like the love and joy that Jesus wants to release into our lives. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. And Jesus wants us to experience the joy and the sense of purpose that comes from being immersed in his love. Andrew Murray, the 19th century South African missionary and educator, in his book, Abide in Christ, he has a whole chapter on the joy of dwelling in God's presence. And this joy is not just for those who are upbeat by temperament. This is beyond personality, and it's beyond circumstances. Even in suffering and troubled times, you can experience this refreshing joy. Yes, there is self-denial, but immersed in the love that flows around us and into us, we are buoyed up with a deep, enduring sense of joy. Brother Lawrence, the author of the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, short little book, I was introduced to it when I was 18. It's been like a beacon, a spiritual beacon for me my whole life. He was a humble, quiet monk in the 1600s. He practiced a continuous awareness of God's presence with him. And he described it as rejoicing with God in a thousand ways. He died on February the 12th, 330 plus years ago today, which is why I thought I'd better bring it in. But then Jesus tells us plainly the bottom line of what we need to do to stay alive in him, to abide in his love. This is my command, love each other as I have loved you. This is the core of Jesus' command, love each other 
as I have loved you. And how does he love? He doesn't just pick up the best looking of us, the most fun-loving, the most successful. He is not selective. He loves the weak and the strong. He loves the wealthy and the beggar. He loves nice people and narrow-minded, self-centered bigots. He loves outsiders and those who think they are worthless, especially sinners. Jesus says, I want you to love like that. Every one, even the one who has done you wrong, forgive them and love them, just like I've done to you. Become a community of people who so radically love each other, it will make the whole world turn and look. Jesus was inviting us to be the kind of community the world has longed for from the very beginning. I'm reading a book right now called Dominion, how the Christian faith remade the world. And it was this very thing. While every empire elevates the powerful and marginalizes the weak, the fledgling Christian church in those early days followed the example of Jesus and went out of their way to protect the weak, to feed the hungry, to rescue abandoned babies. Christians stayed behind during the plague and cared for the dying. And this is how they proved the reality and beauty of the gospel by this agape, self-giving love. On the flip side, the church has often undermined its own credibility when people claiming to be Christians have withheld love, been hypocrites or abusers instead of life-giving friends. When the church becomes a country club serving ourselves instead of centers of relief for the homeless and the stranger, we are an unfruitful branch. No wonder people leave. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And here he gives us a radical vision of love that doesn't hold anything back. Jesus, of course, modeled this self-giving love to the point of laying down his life. On the cross, he proved to be the friend par excellence, and he invites us to follow his example. Take up your cross. Follow me. We die to ourselves when we put the needs of others ahead of our own. And that's what makes us more fully alive. It's a, it's a beautiful paradox. One way that we practice this is by committing to meet together in a small group of friends to share life and bear each other's burdens and to pray for each other. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. That's why we welcome the stranger and teach them English. That's why we value children and protect them. That's why we embrace Mandarin and Ethiopians and Iranians as part of our church family. It's part of being a thriving community of Christ followers for the sake of others. In thinking about how we live this out as a church, I came across this gem on our church website. We believe that every follower of Jesus has been invited into the mission of God. With the help and empowerment of the Spirit, we commit to live as signposts of his kingdom, intentionally proclaiming the good news of Jesus in our homes and workplaces. We commit to pursuing justice, peace, and restoration 
as an expression of that kingdom. This is a, a great missional vision. But can you imagine what more this church could be if we focused our efforts on pursuing this missional value? Perhaps our finest hour awaits us. This is what Jesus had in mind when he invites us into his Father's mission for the world. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know its master's business. Instead, I have called you friends because everything that I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. Bruce Fournier. Is Bruce here this morning? Bruce. A number of years ago, Bruce preached on this text and for some reason I kept his notes. He has a very interesting insight into this verse here. Bruce, Bruce was a professor at the business school at Laurier for many years, and, and he says what Jesus is doing here is inviting his followers to join the family business. They've been promoted from being devoted employees to partners, trusted associates, Jesus has brought them in on the goals and vision of the Father's enterprise of saving the world and displaying the goodness of God to the whole world. And he has taught them the signature modus operandum of the business, which is love. This is the competitive advantage of this family business. Bruce, that's such a helpful insight. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. And he goes on and says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask my Father, he will give you. I think this expands even more our vision of Jesus' invitation. It's not just about our own personal fruitfulness, but an invitation to live for the sake of the world just as Jesus lives. This, my friends, is what we've been chosen for to bring forth fruit of character in our personal lives, living out God's compassion and love and mercy. And along with other believers, to become a community of fruitfulness, like a vineyard that gives corporate witness to the world of what God is really like. To engage together in prayer for this missional enterprise of God. So that through our lives, other people will be drawn into Jesus. And so the sphere of the family business will expand and become ever more fruitful. This is my command, Jesus says in closing off this section. Love each other. Let's do it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us to respond to this invitation of Jesus to find our place of security in his love? Would you rekindle the desire of our hearts to abide in Jesus and to grow in him and to reciprocate that love among each other and out into this world that you love so much? Would you make us more and more into a community of friends that the world may know that you are alive among us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing if you're able. And um, I have written a prayer 
that I hope kind of draws together some of the things that we've been talking about this morning, and I would like us to pray it together. And then, as you leave, you can pick up a copy of the prayer, either at the communion table or on the desk as you leave. But also, I got 60 packages of grapes sitting here, and if you would like to uh, come up and help yourself to one, and then discuss it, uh, eat it over lunch, and discuss with whoever you eat lunch with what you got out of it this morning, and maybe what you would like to do with it the rest of your life. So, let's. Uh, as soon as I get my readable copy of the notes here, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, you no, we're going to read it all together. You got it? Yeah. All right. Let's say three, two. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you are the vital, life-giving vine, and I am blessed to be a branch abiding in you, infused by your spirit, and capable of producing your love and joy, peace and patience. Help me to abide in you, to nourish my mind in your word, to bathe my heart in your love, to keep my eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Help me to serve others with your kindness and grace. Make me a channel of your peace. Lord, I would rather avoid the pruning knife and painful losses, but I know they are part of your creative mercy to enhance my life and make me more fruitful. So help me to lean closer into you with each disappointment and experience the richness of your love. May your love overflow through me and make me fruitful in every good work. And then I thought, if you're taking the grapes home and sharing it with the kids, you might want to have a kid's version of the prayer. So unless you become like little children, you won't really get it, Jesus said. So let's pray my uh, edited version for children. Lord Jesus, you are the perfect vine. Thank you for making me one of your special branches. Help me to grow the fruit of kindness and courage and help me trust you when I am afraid. When I am tempted to do wrong, help me to do the right thing instead so I will be a branch that grows good fruit for God. Amen. My friends, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the strengthening fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you as you go from here to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or thoughts on this teaching, feel free to reach out because we love to connect. For more information about our church and all the things happening in the LRC community, you can visit our website at lrc.church. See you next time.